0: this week on the Bioneers.
1: When what is being fought for is not an abstract emission reduction target, but an identity, a culture, a beloved place, no bribe will be big enough. These communities are simply saying no.
0: I'm Neil Harvey. It's climate resistance movements this week with Naomi Klein and native activist Clayton Thomas Mueller on the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. Is it a coincidence that climate extremes are spiking simultaneously with the greatest extremes of wealth ever seen in human civilization? The driving force behind today's unprecedented globalized collapse is financial. Corporate economic globalization is hyper-concentrated wealth in the hands of the ever-fewer. A handful of billionaire plutocrats who profit from fossil fuels hold the world economy hostage and dominate government policy and many parts of the world. It's boom and doom, the final throes of an oligarchic economic system bedeviled by the stranded assets of fossil fuel interests and the impossibility of unlimited material growth on a finite planet. Yet climate disruption requires that we fast-forward the transition off fossil fuels worldwide. How? What can't be denied is the momentum of growing social movements. They're organizing and building alliances to resist the oligarchy head-on, while demanding justice for communities who are most affected. In this program, we hear from two leaders on the front lines of Canada, where one of the biggest social movements in modern history is just saying no to fossil fuel extraction with activist and author Naomi Klein and indigenous leader Clayton Thomas Mueller of Idle No More. This is Just Say No, planet hackers, resistance movements, and climate justice. My name is Neil Harvey, I'll be your host. Welcome to the Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. In 2007, Richard Branson, Virgin Corporation's entrepreneur extraordinaire, offered a $25 million prize, the biggest ever offered, to whoever could invent a technique to safely extract large amounts of carbon out of the atmosphere and sequester it harmlessly. As of 2015, no one had claimed the prize. Author Naomi Klein memorialized this moment in her book, This Changes Everything, Capitalism Versus the Climate. The photo op showed Branson tossing a portable blue planet in the air like a beach ball. Naomi Klein spoke at a Bioneers conference.
1: So I wanted to show this to you because I feel like this frozen moment is the perfect snapshot for the first incarnation of the climate movement, the one that failed. (laughs) An extremely wealthy and powerful man with the whole world literally in his hands promising to save the fragile blue planet on our behalf. This heroic feat will be accomplished, he has just announced, by harnessing the power of human genius, assumed, of course, to be infinite, as infinite as fossil fuels, and the desire to get really, really rich. If you ask me, pretty much everything is wrong with this picture. The <laughs> you've got... You've got the reinvention of a major climate polluter, owner of multiple airlines, into a climate savior based on little more than good PR. And you've got the firm belief that dangling enough money can solve any mess we create. Such is the power of greed. The certainty that the solutions to climate change must be handed down from above by our elites, by the biggest winners of our current economic system. And you've got the unquestioned assumption that the goal of climate action is to find solutions that require no change of our consumption or lifestyle patterns whatsoever. And indeed, Branson was explicit about this at the time. He said, if the prize yields this magic bullet, quote, we can drive our cars, we can fly our planes, life can carry on as normal.
0: That blue marble whole earth image taken in 1972 from 28,000 miles in space by the crew of the Apollo 17 spacecraft instantly became the iconic image of the environmental movement. The view from space showed us as one planet that was breathtakingly beautiful and alive.
1: It's the thing that we're supposed to protect at UN climate conferences. It's the thing we're called upon to save every Earth Day as if the planet were an endangered species or a starving child far away or a pet in need of our love and care. And that conception is, I think, just as dangerous as that idea born in the 1600s that the earth was an inert machine and that we humans were its engineers called upon by God to exert total mastery. Though these seemingly quite different narratives, different in spirit, both put humans quite literally on top of the world. When we marvel at that blue marble in all of its delicacy and frailty and resolve to save the planet, we cast ourselves in a very specific role. That role is of a parent, the parent of the earth. But the opposite is the case, as every traditional society that sees the earth as a mother knows. It is we humans who are fragile and vulnerable and the earth that is hardy and powerful and holds us in its hands. In pragmatic terms, our challenge is less to save the earth from ourselves and more to save ourselves from an earth that, if pushed too far, has ample power to rock, burn, and shake us off completely. (laughs) That knowledge should inform all we do, especially the decision about whether or not to gamble on high-tech fixes and tamper with the Earth's climate systems. Now, it wasn't supposed to be this way. When NASA first shared that photograph of the whole Earth as seen from space, there was a great deal of rhapsodizing about how the image would spark a leap in consciousness. When we were finally able to see our world as an interconnected and holistic entity, we at last would understand that this lonely planet is our only home and that it's up to us to be its responsible caretakers. This was spaceship earth. And the great hope was that being able to see it would cause everyone to grasp our dependence on that fragile envelope of soil and atmosphere on which our collective survival is based. So how did we get from that humility before life's precariousness to celebrating billionaires playing planetary beach ball? One person who saw it coming was Kurt Vonnegut, who saw a lot coming. He wrote in 1969, Earth is such a pretty blue and pink and white pearl in the pictures NASA sent to me. It looks so clean. You can't see all the hungry, angry earthlings down there and the smoke and the sewage and the trash and the sophisticated weaponry. In other words, seen from space, there are no people down there.
0: Until that transformational moment, environmentalism had been distinctly earthbound. The vision was usually localized to exalt a beloved place or animal or natural wonder. Suddenly, our perspective shifted.
1: When environmentalism went into outer space, things did start getting awfully blurry. Because if you are perpetually looking down at the earth from above, rather than up from its roots and soil, it begins to make a certain kind of sense to start shuffling around pollution sources and pollution sinks as if they were pieces on a planetary-sized chessboard. A tropical forest to drink up the emissions from a Refinery in Ohio and call it a carbon offset, for instance. Fracked gas to replace coal and call it a bridge fuel. Great fields of corn to displace petroleum and call it green energy. And perhaps if we stay on the road we're on, towards catastrophic levels of warming, iron in the oceans to soak up the carbon in the sky and sulfur dioxide in the stratosphere to reflect the sun's rays back to space, so-called geoengineering. It's awfully reassuring to imagine that a technological intervention could save the Arctic ice from melting, but what many of the models shows is that putting sulfur into the stratosphere could well interfere with the monsoons in India and Africa. And once again, far too little attention is being paid to the billions of people who live in those monsoon-fed parts of the world and could well pay the price for these high-risk technologies with their lives. But for a great deal of our elites, it's actually easier to imagine dimming the sun on a planetary scale than rolling out a renewable energy program that would put solar panels on people's roofs. Uneconomic, says Bill Gates. (laughs) The danger is not so much that these radical visions will be realized. Geoengineering the Earth is a long shot, never mind terraforming Mars. The problem is that these various technological escape fantasies are already doing real harm in the here and now.
0: Like the view from space that shows no people, says Naomi Klein, such techno-utopian visions Photoshop out the people living on the ground.
1: This chronic forgetfulness about inconvenient other people is the thread that unites so many fateful climate policies of recent years. From the decision from some big green groups to champion fracked natural gas, failing to notice that there were people on those lands that were willing to fight against the shattering of their territory and the poisoning of their water. To carbon trading and carbon offsets forgetting the people once again, the ones forced to breathe the toxic air next to the refinery that stayed open thanks to those backroom deals, as well as the ones locked out of their traditional forests that were being converted into offsets somewhere else. Now, if one of the current batch of these schemes doesn't work, the same story tells us that something else will surely arrive in the nick of time. We are, after all, the super species, the chosen one, the god species. We will triumph in the end because triumphing is what we do. But do any of us really believe these stories anymore? After so many of our most complex systems have failed, from BP's deep water drilling to the derivatives market, With some of our biggest brains failing to foresee these outcomes, the power of this hackneyed narrative arc is beginning to weaken. We're losing faith in messianic billionaires and their technological miracles. They keep dangling to protect a toxic status quo. There's no doubt that if you are one of the big winners of our current system, then you're looking for a fix that is going to leave the status quo pretty much unchanged. If, however, you are part of the vast majority of the people on this planet who know that this system is failing with or without climate change, then you may have a very different approach.
0: Naomi Klein says that different approach is visible in the rising new movement of movements that's deeply rooted in specific geographies, but networked globally as never before.
1: Some have taken to calling this movement blockadia, Blockadia is not a specific location on a map, but rather a roving transnational conflict zone that is cropping up with great intensity wherever extractive companies are attempting to put natural systems at risk, whether for open pit coal mining or gas fracking or tar sands or oil pipelines. Though often described as anti-fossil fuel, this is in fact a pro-water movement, one grounded in a ferocious love of place. And as you'll be hearing from my dear friend, Clayton Thomas Muller next, many of these movements are led by indigenous people using their land and title rights to block planet destabilizing projects. Increasingly, they are also inspired and being transformed by an indigenous worldview that is reviving long buried traditions of humility before nature. And the deep knowledge that we are not above the world, but of it the antithesis of the hubris of the would-be planet hackers. This movement is telling new stories to replace the techno-escape fantasies that this planet is our only home and that what comes around goes around. And most importantly, what goes up stays up for a very long time. We should be a lot more careful about what we put there. This is more than a change in strategy. It's a fundamental change in perspective and values.
0: Naomi Klein, author of This Changes Everything and The Shock Doctrine. When we return, indigenous leader, Clayton Thomas Mueller shares the view from Canada's indigenous resistance movement and more from Naomi Klein. This is Just Say No, Planet Hackers, Resistance Movements and Climate Justice. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. To explore all available Bioneers radio shows, video programming, and more from Naomi Klein, please visit Bioneers.org. And our thanks for the generous support from listeners like you.
2: Today across Canada, an unprecedented number of communities have risen up against colonialism and the ecological devastation of their traditional lands. There is potential now for a broad social movement that issues a challenge to Canadian capitalism, colonialism, and ecological destruction that is profound as the broadest social movements of the past 40 years.
0: Clayton Thomas Mueller is a leading Canadian-based First Nations activist working for Indigenous peoples' self-determination and environmental justice. A member of the Matthias Colomb Cree Nation of northern Manitoba, He's a campaigner with 350.org, co-director of the Indigenous Tar Sands Campaign, and works with the Idle No More movement. He's campaigned tirelessly across Canada, Alaska, and the lower 48 states in hundreds of Indigenous communities to resist the encroachments of the fossil fuel industry.
2: Ten years ago, when I last gave a keynote here at the Bioneers, I stated that climate change was the civil rights issue of my generation And I set out on a journey with many strong indigenous peoples to build what has become the most visible environmental and indigenous rights campaign in history, the indigenous tar sands campaign. And after many battles ending in loss and many more in victory, we are now seeing the impact of our collective work. Constitutionally protected rights and title has become an important tool for our First Nations struggling to protect our territories. Numerous Supreme Court cases have created a legal precedence where the absence of consultation by corporations and governments is leading to legal action by First Nations communities from coast to coast to coast. And this is raising the alarm bells for resource industries such as forestry, mining and oil and gas. And combined with numerous well-organized, unrelenting acts of protest to resource projects, this legal regime based on Aboriginal rights and title is giving resource companies pause and raising concerns within the government for plans for resource exploitation in Canada.
0: Canada's constitution uniquely provides treaty rights including consultation to its Indigenous peoples who are successfully organizing to enforce them. Section 35 of Canada's Constitution protects both inherent and treaty rights of Indigenous peoples, including the duty to consult. This has led to many successful organizing victories to defend their collective rights to hunt, fish, and trap.
2: This rights-based approach has been tested time and time again. It has been validated by over 170 Supreme Court victories. It is validated by all of the international Indian treaties. It is validated by the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, by the ILO Convention 169, and many, many other legal instruments, both domestic and international. There are dozens, dozens of stories of resistance by First Nations communities to resource development. Canada's extractive industries have become fraught with uncertainty, and I think that this is especially true in the area of our success as a movement in stopping the building of export pipelines, which have caused the shelving of billions of dollars of expansion projects in the tar sands, most notably Total, the France oil giant, and Norway's oil giant, Statoil, recently pulling out because of the power of Indigenous peoples organizing. Simply put, my friends, our system in Canada is politically corrupt. We do not live in a democratic state. Instead, we are living in a corporate state, or more precisely, a petrostate. state. And it's time that we recognize this together. What the Canadian government is not telling the investment community is that Indigenous social movements across the country have created an unprecedented movement that is fighting in the streets and in the courtrooms for the protection of their territories and their sovereignty. This combination of Indigenous resistance to resource extraction projects with a protective legal regime based on Aboriginal and treaty rights is the basis for much of the uncertainty in Canada's resource sector. In Ontario, where I live with my sons and my wife, Corinne, the communities of K.I., Ardok, Algonquin, Charbat, Obadjawin, Tyendinaga, Mohawk Territory, Six Nations, Grassy Narrows, Moose Cree, and Tamagami First Nations, among others, have developed and organized political resistance to assert their right to say no to the despoiling of their traditional lands and to govern themselves in accordance with their own traditions. Yeah.
0: Massive mobilizations powered by the skillful use of social media and broad alliances with non natives have resisted aggressive government attempts to force extractive projects on and near native lands.
2: We shut down the majority of highways across the country, six border crossings to the United States, and we stopped every train in Canada's most densely populated province of Ontario, all with only one arrest. This speaks to the power of mass social movements combined with moral authority, and the power especially of our native women who are leading our movement. And there is a powerful metaphor between the economic policies of the country of Canada and the United States and their treatment of our Indigenous women and girls. When you look at the extreme violence taking place against the sacredness of our Mother Earth in places like the tar sands, and the fact that that represents one of the greatest drivers of both Canadian and U.S. trade policy in our economies, and then you look at the lack of action being taken on the thousands of First Nations women and girls who have been murdered or just disappeared, it all begins to make sense. And it's also why our women have been rising up and taking back power from the smothering forces of patriarchy that have been dominating our economic, political, and social, and I would say spiritual institutions. In short, Violence against our Mother Earth begets violence against our Native women. And when we turn things around as a peoples, it'll be our women who lead us. And it'll be the sacred feminine creative principle that they carry that'll give us the tools we need to build another world.
0: Clayton Thomas Mueller shows that one thing is certain. Resistance is not futile. Certainly not in blockadia. Again, Naomi Klein.
1: In Blockadia, risk assessment has been abandoned on the barricaded roadside. Because when what is being fought for is not an abstract emission reduction target, but an identity, a culture, a beloved place that people are determined to pass on to their grandchildren, there is nothing companies can offer as a bargaining chip. There is no pledge of safety that will assuage, no bribe will be big enough, these communities are simply saying no. And and these movements, these movements are winning, they're winning state and provincial-wide fracking bans and moratoriums from Quebec to New York State, they're winning country-wide fracking bans to France and the Czech Republic. Blockadia has led to the cancellation of three massive coal export terminals in the Pacific Northwest, and the other three are in deep trouble. It's It's spreading investor uncertainty, investor uncertainty throughout the Alberta tar sands, with new developments being put on ice, because it's not at all clear that once they dig up all that dirty bitumen, they'll be able to get it out. The fossil fuel divestment movement, meanwhile, is moving from strength to strength, and this is just the beginning. This is just the beginning because local fights are morphing into guiding principles. No new carbon frontiers from the Arctic to the Amazon. No new sacrifice zones. We can power our lives without poisoning anyone justice and reparations for the communities that have already suffered the most in the old model. The polluter must pay to clean up this mess. The bill cannot be passed on to the most vulnerable. The time of privatized profits and socialized gains is coming to a close. This is a movement of many movements and though utterly undetectable from outer space, It is beginning to shake the fossil fuel companies to their very core. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Naomi Klein, Clayton Thomas Mueller. Just Say No, Planet Hackers, Resistance Movements, and Climate Justice. See and hear more from Naomi Klein or explore more Bioneers radio shows and video programming online at Bioneers.org. For information on attending the National Bioneers Conference and Bioneers events in your area, please visit Bioneers.org or call 1 877 Bioneer. The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature is a production of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ossibel. Senior producer, Neil Harvey. Managing producer, Stephanie Welch. Station relations, Anna Iglesias. Our theme music is taken from the album Journey Between by Baca Beyond and used by permission of Hannibal Records, a Ricodisc label. Additional music was made available by Sounds True at soundtrue.com. For more music information, please visit bioneers.org. This is program number 0915.
1: This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley's pasture raised organic dairy products, bringing the good from our family farmers to your table at organicvalley.coop. Mary's Gone Crackers, inspired by a conscious approach to eating organic, gluten free, and non GMO products since 2004 at marysgonecrackers.com. Funding also provided by a grant from the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues, and by the generous support of listeners like you.